Hey everyone, welcome back to Ascend Student Ministries Anchor Podcast. Today we're in James chapter 4. It reads, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against the brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. As we jump back in here to James chapter 4, we're back in the boxing ring with him as he continues to bring to light some of these areas of our life which we may not be fully yielding ourselves to the Lord. And today is one that I find particularly challenging as he calls us out on what he describes as worldliness, our love for the world and the things of the world. We center this on verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity or being an enemy of God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so I think that we would naturally say, hey, I don't want to be an enemy of God, but are we willing to give up our friendship with the world to do that? So let's think about that. What does this really mean? What does it mean to actually not be a friend of the world? As we think about the things of the world and the things that might be drawing us away from God, we need to understand that they've set themselves up against God and his kingdom. We need to understand that they're looking for things that are different. We need to understand that they're going to end at a different destination than what the things of the Lord are. And so it's easy for us to see that end, and it's easy for us to contemplate the destination and where it heads, but where it gets really difficult for us, where it gets really difficult for me, is the fact that we're surrounded by these things. And it's okay to be involved with the world around us, but that's not what this is talking about. It's saying being friends with that. When you're friends with somebody, you've put yourself into a relationship. You've put yourself into an agreement where you're going to look out for the best interests of one another. But the interesting thing is that becoming a friend with the world means that you're going to partner yourself with the world, but the world does not actually have your best interests at hand. In fact, it has the opposite. It has their best interests at hand. And so when we walk through what's happening here, he gives us these very descriptive, very challenging thoughts about how we relate to the world, calling us adulterous people, calling us double-minded. 
telling us to, to mourn and weep over what it is that we're doing, and ultimately telling us to humble ourselves before God. Because when we put ourselves into that situation where we acknowledge who God is, we acknowledge our need, and we acknowledge the fact that we're nothing aside from his work in our life, we put ourselves in a position that's far different from what the world is saying. The world's telling us, you are the greatest. You should pursue your desires that are going to bring you satisfaction. Life is about your pleasure. But when you instead acknowledge God, when you put yourself under his yoke, when you put yourself before him and say that you understand that he's in control of your life, he's in control of all things, you open yourself up to the reality of what God is trying to do in your life. Instead of trying to do things for yourself, instead of trying to do things on your own or with the help of others who cannot ultimately do anything apart from God working in their lives. I think it's interesting here. It says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It gives us this twofold thought of how we draw near to God and how we prepare ourselves for what God is going to do. When we think about cleansing your hands, your hands are the things that do the actions of your body. They're symbolic of that, the work that you do, whether that be the work of your hands building something or the work of your hands at times needing to be cleansed from the blood of those that you have wronged. When we view this passage in light of what the scriptures teach us about the way in which we relate to others, especially 1 John chapter 3, the way in which it reveals to us that our hatred of others is ultimately a desire to murder them. Because if given the chance, we would do that knowing that there would be no consequences. But because of the consequences that are present, we choose not to do it. But the fact is that that sin of hatred is equally as wrong in the eyes of God as the sin of murder. And so we seek to cleanse our hands from the sin that we have. We seek to go before him and purify ourselves. And we do that by purifying our hearts. We've talked about that in this passage and in this thought of James of how our heart is the center of our life, how what flows from our hearts displays who we truly are. It displays to God and to others what the source of our desires is. Is it ourself, our own passions? Or is it the Lord? And so as we seek to reflect on that today, it gives us a challenge about our relationship to the world. Are we willing to put things of the world aside to pursue God? Or do we continuously elevate the things of the world at the expense of God? James gives us a really clear warning about the danger of doing that in our lives. He tells us and he calls us to humble ourselves before the Lord so that he will exalt us. I pray that that would be true in our midst, that that would be the focus of our lives, that we would seek to partner and pair ourselves with the Lord rather than the world. As far as a question from this passage, I get this question a lot, and it comes from many different places, and it really centers on this fact of, am I supposed to judge other people, yes or no? Am I supposed to be speaking into their life, to be revealing error to them, to be talking to them? What does that mean for the sinful people that I'm around or the people who are not wanting to walk with the Lord? Am I called to be the one who takes that message of the gospel to them and tell them that they're wrong, to tell them the root of the errors in their life? Do I bring that judgment upon them? Is that what I'm supposed to do? And so we get places that speak of judge not lest ye be judged. And we get these other concepts here of this thought that there is only one judge. There's only one who's doing that. Are you able to save your neighbor? Are you able to do those different things? Who are you to judge your neighbor? It's an interesting question, interesting thought. 
The one thing that I would like to say is, number one, for those who are unbelieving people, the judge and the lawgiver, the one who is calling them to judgment, is the Lord. That means that you might be a part of sharing the gospel with them, and you might be part of helping them begin to see the reality of who they are and where they stand before the Lord. But more than that, the many places that we look at in the scriptures where it talks about us bringing judgment or speaking to other people about their sin and calling them out on that and doing those different things is usually centered on the fact that we're relationally living within the body of Christ. And as so, we are called to be a part of the edification and the building up of the believers. In doing so, that leads us to expose sin in their life, to call them out on those things, to help them to see the ways in which they can continue to grow and be molded and shaped into the people that God desires them to be. So in a sense, in that relationship, we're called to be the judge. We're called to be the one who's examining the facts, examining their life, examining it such to the extent that we can give them the right thing to do, the remedy for their situation, or the way in which they should be living. But when we speak about this in terms of the unbelievers and those who are around us who have not placed themselves into that relationship, who are not calling us to hold them accountable, who are not the ones who are doing these different things that are allowing them to grow into the image and likeness of God— In those situations, we're not called to be the judge. Instead, we're called to be the messenger. We're called to be the one who is carrying the gospel, not to be the one who is involved in the actual judging. So we want the offense to be taken on the message, not the messenger, the message of the gospel for them. And so it's a unique little thing. And you might say, hey, well, that's kind of dodging the issue or that's kind of not really giving us clarity on are we supposed to judge or are we not? We need to understand that there are categories or there are situations and instances where, yes, we're called to be the one who is examining their lives, who is working through those situations and who is helping them to see with clarity what's going on. But also there are situations where we're allowing that to be the Lord, where we're trusting in him to do what is right, where we're calling upon him to be the one who is the lawgiver, the one who is then upholding the law, and the one who is then drawing those individuals to an understanding that they will be and will stand before him as the judge, and allowing God to be in that position of ultimate judgment and not putting ourselves in that. So hopefully that helps you to see the different nuances of that. This passage is one where especially people are questioning, hey, am I even involved in judging or the judging process? Because it says, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Ultimately pointing to the fact that we're sinners just as well, and we need the same thing that they need. We need the Lord evident and relevant in speaking into our lives so that we're able to die to our sins and we're able to live in Christ. So hopefully that is true in our midst today. Hopefully that's true as we seek to study God's word together, as we seek to mine it for the gold that it gives us. And so as you walk through this passage, as you look to answer questions about what it is revealing to you about God, we pray that you would continue growing in the Lord. Know today you were loved. You're-